Greetings and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and many others. Episodes of the podcast also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 AM across Central Virginia. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. And today we are excited to be joined by Gina Boyleberger, the Chief Deputy at the Virginia Department of Social Services. She previously served as Deputy Health and Human Resources Secretary under Governor Ralph Northam, worked as a policy advisor under former Governor Tim Kaine, and has worked for organizations that promote organ donation and that work to prevent sexual and domestic violence. Today we'll chat about her work and more, but first, welcome to the program, Gina. Thank you so much for having me, Julian. Well, we're glad that you could be with us today. So for the benefit of listeners, the Virginia Department of Social Services is one of the largest state agencies that works with 120 local social service departments and collaborates with an array of faith-based and nonprofit organizations to promote the health of millions of children and family in Virginia. The work of DSS includes everything from foster care and adoption to child support to assistance programs, protective programs, and so much more. With that background, Gina, can you tell us about the important work of DSS and how it's been impacted by the COVID pandemic and what kind of shifts or adjustments that have had to be made to continue to provide those necessary services and supports for Virginians? Yes, absolutely. Well, the Department of Social Services, as you mentioned, covers a whole host of services that really is focused on helping families thrive and helping individuals thrive. We specifically are working to help families out of poverty and to live lives of dignity. And, you know, obviously that work was really, really important to begin with, but has become really crucial during the pandemic. We have seen during the pandemic with many Virginians losing their jobs, experiencing food insecurity, experiencing housing instability, homelessness, a whole list of challenges that Virginia families have really faced. And at the department, we have been working very hard to ensure that through our benefits, and we've seen a substantial increase in the number of Virginians who have applied for food support, for cash assistance, and others during the pandemic as a result of the economic situation and the economic downturn. And we've really been there to support them at the local level. Many of our local departments of social services have been working 24-7 in order to enroll Virginians in those benefit services. A lot of our benefit workers had to go to a virtual environment for processing applications, which was a challenge, but our local departments really rose to that challenge. And we've actually seen some greater efficiencies as a result of doing that. In terms of our child welfare system, our family services workers have also had to start to do many things virtually. So foster care visits, and that kind of thing, and have had to adjust in that way. But in terms of our child protective services, adult protective services workers, those are really frontline workers. They're still out there going into facilities and into people's homes to investigate reports of abuse and neglect. And they've really been the frontline workers, heroes of the pandemic as well. So I really think our entire system has really kept a lot of families, helped them sustain during the pandemic, and kept children safe and family safe. I appreciate that overview, and that's really great perspective and a good reminder of how much devastation both 
emotionally, but also economically and financially that the pandemic has had for people. Uh, while it's unfortunate that people have found themselves in very challenging circumstances leading to an increase in applications for support services, it's good to hear that your agency has been able to shift and adapt to accommodate those needs. And that's actually a good segue to the next question I have for you, Gina. As you know, Governor Northam recently invested in the Unite Us platform to create a bi-directional e-referral technology system to help enhance connections between healthcare providers and social service providers and community organizations to get Virginians connected to the supports they need. From the perspective of DSS, how will that platform help bridge gaps and make a difference in the work of improving lives? Well, we are very excited about the opportunities that the United platform presents. You know, so many times we see in local communities where there are silos and different service providers, and we really are excited about the opportunity to connect, you know, healthcare and housing services and social services and a whole array of local services and to better serve our clients. So we are really working on two fronts. One, to get our local Department of Social Services connected to the platform, as well as our local community action agencies. And we also contract with a whole host of community providers, whether it's providing, you know, child welfare services or providers like food banks that we provide funding to and other local organizations. And so one of the things that we're really focused on at the beginning is getting our local partners connected as well so that there can be a seamless, you know, referral system for our local departments, for our local partners as well. We actually had Luciano Ramos, who's involved in the Unite Us work uh, on the podcast. Uh, And so it's really fascinating to hear about how that system is being built up and the connections that are being made. Uh, Gina, before coming to DSS, we mentioned that you worked in two gubernatorial administrations, most recently for Governor Northam as Deputy Health and Human Resources Secretary, during a time when Virginia has passed some truly consequential healthcare legislation, including Medicaid expansion in 2018, which, as you know, has enabled more than 500,000 adult Virginians to gain health coverage. As you assess your career, and we talked about the, the many different areas of sort of social service and healthcare work that you've been engaged in, where does that achievement rank for you? Well, certainly Medicaid expansion has to be right at the top. But I would also say that some of the work we've done in the Northam administration, particularly for me, a very bright spot is in our maternal health work. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the governor a couple of years ago in 2019 set a goal of eliminating racial disparities in maternal health care in Virginia, which, you know, we really have taken a close look at. And I think that goal is only going to be achieved by, you know, our health systems and our social services systems um, and all of our local community providers really working together to solve this issue. In 2019, we did a listening tour on behalf of the governor around maternal health, and we visited 10 localities across Virginia. And really, as a result of that, a lot of recommendations were adopted by the governor and the General Assembly, including now a full year of postpartum coverage in our Medicaid program, a coverage for community doula services in the Medicaid program, and also elimination of what's called the 40-quarter rule, which really prevented immigrants in Virginia from getting crucial health care services. So I think there's a lot of work that I'm really proud of, um, both in the Kane and Northam administrations and really just helping Virginians with their everyday needs. 
Well, I'm glad you brought up maternal wellness and, and the maternal mortality issue and, and addressing those disparities, because uh, that's something that we at the Virginia Hospital Healthcare Association are engaged on in partnership with the Commonwealth, and certainly our hospital members are engaged in that work as well. And now that we've handled the more technical stuff, Gina, I have a few other questions for you to give listeners a bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work you do. The first is, and this is an entirely imaginary premise, but in the hypothetical scenario that you could anticipate your final day on earth, what would your last meal be? <laughs> Definitely seafood. Okay. I would want a low country boil. <laughs> okay. Okay. That sounds good. The next question is, um, when COVID-19 is behind us and we can resume quote unquote normal life and socializing, what is one thing you're most looking forward to doing? Oh, definitely going to visit my mother. My mother is actually a just retired as a critical care unit nurse. She lives right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and she worked through several months of the pandemic and, and didn't retire until June. And so it's been really hard. I'm definitely a mama's girl, so it's been really hard not to be able to see my mom, but brighter days are ahead and we're most of my family is now in the first or second dose of the vaccine, so we are very much planning a reunion. Okay, well, I hope that reunion is fruitful and, and full of uh, joy and merriment. And finally, Gina, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment survival kit picks? Hmm, okay. So um, I would say in terms of an album, I'm definitely a big Tyler Childers fan. I'm from Kentucky originally, and Tyler Childers is a um, kind of old country artist, modern day. And so I definitely would take my Tyler Childers album movie. I would probably take my childhood favorite, which is The Princess Bride. But it's so simple. All I have to do is divine from what I know of you. Are you the sort of man who would put the poison into his own goblet or his enemies? Now, a clever man would put the poison into his own goblet because he would know that only a great fool would reach for what he was given. I'm not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you must have known I was not a great fool. You would have counted on it, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You've made your decision then? <laughs> not remotely, because Iocane comes from Australia, as everyone knows. And Australia is entirely peopled with criminals. And criminals are used to having people not trust them as you are not trusted by me. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. And let's see. Look, that's really hard because there are so many greats. Gosh, I think probably To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. <laughs> well, also like a, a childhood favorite. Okay. Well, listen, 
I want to thank you for taking a few minutes to be with us today and for sharing your thoughts and insights. And with that, that's going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest, Gina Boyle-Berger, Chief Deputy at the Virginia Department of Social Services, for joining us today. So thank you, Gina. Thanks so much for having me, Julian.